Okay, well, this is going out, I suppose, on the 1st of November, or thereabouts, 2021, and I want to talk about the Middle East peace process. Well, not about the process, about the outcome, I guess, of the concept of Middle East peace, about whether we can have a Middle East peace and what that might shape up to be in a better world. Of course, I'm talking about Israel and Palestine. And in regard to Middle East peace, there are three things that matter. And what are they? One, the status of Jerusalem. Two, the right of return. And three, the land swaps. All the groundwork on this has been done and done and gone over. Everybody knows the issues. And everybody knows the shape of any Middle East peace. Now, I remember old Lord Weinstock, who was a friend of mine, he was a great believer in the concept that the status of Jerusalem was the key issue that needed resolving in order to to bring forward peace in the Middle East, peace between Palestinians and Jews. And does it matter? I mean, this thing has been going on for, what, since I was born, I suppose, for 70 years now, since more than 70 years. So it's kind of ridiculous that it isn't resolved. Yes, um, Lord Weinstock used to regard the state of Jerusalem as the key issue. The trouble with the Oslo process is that it kicked issues like the, the status of Jerusalem and the right of return down the road. And that meant that it was a kind of dead end before it began. You could argue that it did some good. At least it gave um, the beginnings of, of a Palestinian state. And after all, Jerusalem in 1948, well, you go back to 1948, Israel in 1948 declared independence without a capital, without any defined borders, and without a constitution. So it's quite possible, I suppose, for a Palestinian state to be formed. But the status of Jerusalem is key. So what do we have in regard to the status of Jerusalem? Well, the answer is to negotiate the various aspects of it, like negotiating the layers of an onion. So you you deal with the issue of security, and you negotiate what that will look like. Joint patrols in East Jerusalem, whatever it is, you know, you decide on that. Then as the issue of uh, municipality, housing, and so forth, you either are going to have Palestinians voting properly for the Jerusalem Municipal Assembly, and then away you go, or or what? Or you, you have two municipal assemblies, one for the East and one for the West. It these are really moot points, but you'd make a decision about that, and so forth. Piece by piece, you put the jigsaw together, and then you finally deal with the final piece, the issue of sovereignty, which is a mere cosmetic issue. Cosmetic, yet yeah, means so much to everybody. Well, of course, Russia recognizes uh, the sovereignty of Israel in West Jerusalem and Palestine in East Jerusalem. It's a neat position, one that, one that Russia adopted before. The United States of America decided to recognize the sovereignty of Israel over all Jerusalem and break with the international community. But, Kesarasara, this is not really the core of the issue. The core of the issue is how do you tackle the symbolism? Well, the symbolism and sovereignty is merely symbolic, isn't it? Think about it. The symbolism is is the question of whether Palestinians call Al-Quds, Jerusalem, all of Al-Quds, their capital. Why not? They can have their 
assembly building in Abu Dis, fine, but, but call Jerusalem the Palestinian capital, and then Israel, of course, calls all Jerusalem the Israeli capital. How do you manage to enable this symbolism to have some fabric of reality? Well, you give the Palestinian president a, a residence in Orient House in East Jerusalem, and the United States of America opens an embassy in East Jerusalem to Palestine. They have a building there already. And Britain does something similar. I say they have a building, actually. The United States has a building for their Jerusalem consulate. But, I mean, it would be better if they opened up in the um, the YMCA building in East Jerusalem or something, you know. It's simple. These things are so simple. It's merely symbolic, a flag in Orient House as a residence for the Palestinian president. Then you have the right of return issue. I suppose that's more difficult, isn't it? More difficult in theory. Uh, Ehud Olmert, he, he reckoned... I mean, you know Ehud Olmert, the former prime minister of Israel, that was in theory a right winger. Yes, he suggested that... 1,000 Palestinians be allowed to enter Israel each year for five years, whereas the other concepts of right of return have been more along the lines of 100,000 Palestinians coming. I mean, that was the Clinton idea. 100,000 would come back for family reunification. Ahad Olmert doesn't like that word. Obviously, some arrangement has to be made for Palestinians living in places like Lebanon, where they are second-class citizens. What arrangement would you make? I mean, under the old Madrid process, Canada was in charge of, of the refugee issue. So you can go with that. I mean, the um, nations of the West can offer to take refugees, Palestinian refugees, from places like Lebanon, Syria. Or they can, of course, have a right to go back to the Palestinian state. Or they should be offered compensation in lieu. But the point is, that, as in all these cases, refugees never go back, do they? I mean, Syrian refugees are never going to go back to Syria. Once a, a refugee is displaced, they never, well, of course, there are rare exceptions. By and large, they never go home. It's a major trauma being displaced in the first place. So what home have you got to go to? Historically, look at it. Refugees never, never, never in all history do they go home. They, they dream of going home, but... You count the numbers that go home on the fingers of one hand, really. So Palestinians are going to come back where they're not welcome, without any home to go to, because the homes are now lived in by second, third generation Jerusalemites. It was Netanyahu that made the right of return into a big issue. It's not a big issue. You could even actually almost leave it out of the negotiations, because it's a side issue in reality. You need some symbolic referral to it, but... Palestinians will always have the right of return. Of course they do in UN speak. Refugees everywhere have the right of return. Getting to exercise it is a different matter, isn't it? So this stumbling block should not hold up the entire peace process because you will never have justice. What you're looking at is fair play. The old Welsh rugby phrase was quality of amsa, fair play at all times. And you can't go back and, and provide justice. My father used to sign, my late father used to sign his letters, peace with justice. There is no peace with justice anywhere. How can you give reparations to the dead, to the displaced, to the abused? You, you, can't, you can't make up for what's been done. You can't have justice. Unless you mean retribution, but there's no point to that. So then we come to the big peace process issue, the land swaps. And Palestinians have always argued for 3% land swaps, Israelis for 6%. 
under the old uh, negotiations when they were taking place. There's a, there are sub issues here, whether there should be a road between um, Gaza and the West Bank in a federated Palestine. Does it matter? I suppose it does matter. But uh, the reality is, of course, that you have a kind of three-state solution because Gaza governs itself and will continue to do so for the foreseeable future. That shouldn't hold up peace. The land swaps, what are the Palestinians going to get? You're not going to get equitable land. So the Palestinians will get bits of land in southern Israel contiguous with the West Bank or in western Israel contiguous with the eastern border of the Gaza Strip. What land are we swapping? Well, that's easy, isn't it? Uh, the, the big settlements. And what are the big settlements? The big settlements are... Now, we have to forget Hebron, by the way. Hebron, let's go to Palestine. Can't, you can't hold on the peace process for like 100 people or something. I mean, how many settlers, how many genuine settlers are there in Hebron? A ridiculous, farcical thing. No, the, the big uh, settlements, Modin elite, Beitar elite, Mali Adumin, Givat Ziv, and East Talpiat. East Talpiat, the Israelis don't even regard it as a settlement, but it is. It's in land captured in 67, but to all intents and purposes, it's contiguous with West Jerusalem now. And there are the the smaller settlement incursions around Calcilia, Calcilia town surrounded on three sides by a fence for Calcilia. But anyway, a Palestinian town. And then there's Ariel, the West Bank city of Ariel. It's a big, well, moderately big settlement established by Israel right in the middle, plonk right in the middle of the West Bank. I think... That's the big argument, what you do with Ariel. The Palestinians will want it back, but the Israelis will want to keep it. And that means a tongue of land reaching out to Ariel you keep as well. Well, I guess so. Let's just get on with life. The town of Ariel shouldn't hold up peace. So let Israel have it. If we get a proper Palestinian state out of it, I can endure this. Peace is, is living together in harmony. That's what it is, what matters. It's not merely living side by side as in some sort of ceasefire situation where you where you treat each other as neighbors but hate each other. Yeah, you need... Peace is concord. Anybody can have a ceasefire. The trouble with the Israeli position on Gaza is the endless series of negotiated ceasefires. It means nothing. A hoodness, they call them in Arabic. So how do you broker this, this peace? Well, what do you need? What's the strategy you need to progress peace? Well, you need an interested external broker, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Spain, Syria. I think I'm joking. I mean it, actually. Uh, but, but can't be the United States of America at this moment because Biden isn't interested because he's busy negotiating his deal with Iran on the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the JCPOA, and he's got his own problems at home with a divided America and the threat from the right. Um, Biden is actually not really interested in any foreign policy. So American lead is most unlikely. It's possible possible if Biden really needed distraction, but he's old and he's weary. That's too much for him, really. So that's why we need to turn to... And we do need an external party. That's why we need to turn to the United Arab Emirates or Bahrain or Spain. Spain because Spain negotiated the Madrid process. Or, or Syria because Syria has a lot to gain by working for peace. Of course, it would have to move aside from its closer relationship with Iran, but that would be a great plum. 
Then the, the next thing we need, of course, as part of the strategy for peace is a new Palestinian leader. Well, you could do it with Abu Mazen. I mean, Abu Mazen is ancient. He makes me look like a young man. And I'm cracking on. You could do it with Abu Mazen if he wanted legacy, but he's not really interested in doing anything. He's just interested in sucking the sweeties that are associated with power. But yeah, in theory, you could do it with Abu Mazen. But in practice, I think... Palestine needs a new leader and somebody intelligent who will negotiate credibly for Palestine. And I'm a great favor, a great favor of Marwan Barghouti. And you could arrange uh, a deal there that re- involved his release or allowing him to stand as president of Palestine. I think that's personally, I think we need energy for Palestinian elections. Of course, we can't have full assembly elections in Palestine because Hamas might do too well, and if Hamas didn't do well, young Fatah might do well at the expense of old Fatah. Whatever, the only thing we do know is that in any Palestinian Authority elections, uh, national elections, that Fatah would do badly. Fatah established old Fatah would do badly. And that's really scary for old Fatah. That's why Abu Mazen cancelled the elections. Which I do. I mean, they're supposed to be taking place next month, December, but they're not. But you could have presidential elections. That might work, but difficult for Abu Mazen to tolerate. Nobody wants to give up power willingly unless they have to. And yet we need a new Palestinian leader, I think. Hard to progress peace with Abu Mazen. And uh, what's the third thing we need? Of course, uh, strategically, it's an Israeli partner. But in two years' time, we have a new prime minister in Israel. It's already scheduled. So there's an option. It's a possibility. It might even take place now. Don't think so? It's possible. Work on Israel, get the momentum going. And what would be the carrot you would offer Israel? Rapprochement with the Arab world, obviously. An end to all this misery. Rapprochement with the Arab world. The League of Arab States recognizing Israel. A major moment. Peace. Better tomorrow for our children. For the children of Israel and the children of Palestine and for the children of the world. Because this little problem has been a festering wound for so long. What, you want to set it aside, kick it down the road and go for a hundred years of grumbling? No. Come on, let's just get it dealt with. Time. Time for a new dawn. Time for a new tomorrow. Now wait little by little for more states of the world to recognize Palestine. The only state in the Western, major country in the Western world that recognizes Palestine is Sweden. Goodness me. No, we've got a long wait to wait if we're going to go that route. We need a peace process. Let's deal with it. And deal with it now for the sake of fair play and a better new beginning. It can be done. It should be done. It's time and past time it was done. Let's do it. In the name of God, to fail to deliver peace between Israel and Palestine is a sin. It's a sin. Yes, it's wasted so much energy for so long. Okay, God bless you.